sometimes the adults like it, so hopefully you kids can like it too today. <laughs> it's special. Sometimes I get to teach Sunday school, but when I do, we're all going to be together. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm excited to have my family here. It is nice to have family for Christmas. And uh, so I love my mom, love my brothers and my sister, brother and my sisters, and uh, I guess his wife. I mean, I don't really know her yet. We're still learning to love her. <laughs> this is love. This is how it happens. <laughs> As Cindy. <laughs> oh, man, it's okay to have some fun while we're here. So this series that we've been in, titled Three Gifts, we're on week four. And let me read the scripture before I tell you what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Today, the title is Greater Love. The greatest of these is love. So there's a reason for this. So today we're going to talk about greater love. So last week we talked a little bit about love and how we should portray it and that our lives should be a light in the world, right? And so last week I mentioned how, love, how, how we love and, um, and many times we have been, we've been given love by, by our Father in heaven. He's given us the love that we need. And so this week we're going to focus on his love, not the love that we give, but rather his love for us. So let's start with the story of the birth. Let me read a few scriptures in Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. It says, in, these, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius uh, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I underlined that portion of my, of my notes here. While they were there came time to give birth. Then she gave birth to the, her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Um, Rochelle, under that, that sheet, can you hand me those notes? I forgot to pass out my notes today. Cindy, surprised you didn't just start waving your hand. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you don't have a, co a hard copy of these, um, you can, I will bring you one. You can get them on either the YouVersion Bible app or on the website, myhope.life. Here you go, this is my last hard copy. So you can get notes. You can look at it on your phone if you want to. Um, so now that I get those out, let's talk about the story of the birth of Jesus. So the story of the birth of Jesus shows the struggle that Mary and Joseph had. How many of us in here today have a struggle? Like maybe I'll, I'll share some stories of my struggles that I've had. Just because you have the spirit and the joy of the Lord within you doesn't mean it takes your struggles away. It changes the way that you handle the struggles. But I look at this. Here is Mary and Joseph. Mary is about to give birth to the Savior of the world. And they don't have a place for 
them to give birth. So just because she was carrying the Messiah, it didn't stop their obligations to society. What what'd they get called for? They were like, hey, you got to come down to Bethlehem because you got to come pay your taxes, right? Like, like it didn't stop his ability. So just because you have the spirit of the Lord within you, it doesn't stop your, your obligations to your society that you are a part of. Um, it, it did not grant them a special place to have the baby. The Messiah was there. Oh, you got week three? Rochelle, you're handing me the wrong notes. What's going on? It says week four? Oh. Sorry, Cindy. It's Rochelle's fault, okay? Maybe the other one there is week four. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I can get you another copy. <laughs> um, okay. So in this part here, they, they weren't given a special place to have a baby. Joseph was, was uh, looking for a room and couldn't find it. Um, so... One of the things that I thought of in this is a few months ago, me and my wife took a trip down to the cities. Ashley was with us. And my job was to book the rooms. I booked the rooms for like a week before I was supposed to be there. So like I'm calling, we're calling the hotels like, can we please get a refund? Like, can we like, please, can we like move it for this registration? Like on the day that we were supposed to be there. Luckily it worked out, but I felt a little bit like Joseph, I think, you know, like chaotic. Like I wasn't getting ready to have birth or anything like that, but I, I felt a little bit of a struggle and maybe Joseph just forgot to book the room. I don't know. That probably isn't the case, but like, I don't think that he meant to like, oh, we're going to have a baby in a manger tonight. <laughs> I don't think that that was his intention, but I think that this kind of shows the love that was there. These parents did what they could for this child that they had been given. And I think that's the same thing for us, is we should love those that are around us. So there's love throughout this story. One, it's our Savior coming to us. It's um, the parents finding a place to have the child. Um, And I'm just going to guess there was probably some chaos on that night. How many of you on Sunday morning sometimes have chaos in your house? Good. I'm glad you're all honest in here. Love honest people. Makes you feel safe. <laughs> so <laughs> just because you have the Spirit of God. Now, it says that God is not the author of confusion, right? But how many times have you been confused? I've been confused. Well, I would dare say that that is not That's not God. That is the author of confusion would be the devil. And so maybe some of the thoughts that you've had are because he's trying to throw you off. But in this story here, the birth of the Messiah still required the pain of the mother. Like I think about this on that night. Now I've worked in the labor and delivery room for all of you who didn't know that. I used to work um, as a surgical tech and I used to work in labor and delivery for like 10 years. It was a really fun experience. But I tell you what, some of those, they come in, some of those ladies, they come in and they're like, it's gonna happen now. And you look at them and you're like, are you even pregnant? <laughs> Jaded. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, you look at them and be like, she ain't even pregnant, like, send her home, and, and that would be the case for some of them. And then, then some would come in, and they would be, like, just stone cold, I'm going to have a baby. And, like, 30 minutes later, 
that baby was out. And I'm just like, sometimes I was just like so amazed how people handle pain differently. The Bible doesn't give a descriptor of how Mary handled the pain, but I've never seen a woman bear a child and not have some pain. Even with an epidural, they still had pain. It just doesn't take it all away. It doesn't, I'm sure, like it maybe it feels good afterwards. And people are like, oh, it's beautiful. I don't know. There was nothing beautiful where I was in that job, okay? I'm just saying that. Cool, new life. <laughs> and so I look at it as sometimes chaotic. <laughs> and sometimes as kids, we can be chaotic. And sometimes as adults, we can be chaotic. But throughout this story, we see the love that God had for, for his people and for, for us today. So the birth of the Messiah still required the pain of the mother because it was part of the promise in Genesis. It's often... I think that we struggle to make room in our lives. We get caught up in the things that we want to do, the places we want to go, and, and we get caught up with that. And we don't make room, and we end up putting Jesus in the manger as an afterthought. We put Jesus out in the barn. We put him out in the shed because we didn't make room in our lives. He's not really central to our lives. Like That's one thing that's cool about a nativity setup. Like When you look at it, What's at the very middle of the nativity setup? Jesus, baby Jesus, right? In our lives, not baby Jesus though, okay? Baby Jesus is <laughs> not baby Jesus anymore. <laughs> but we, we should have Jesus in our lives, central to our lives. So I think sometimes we struggle. We look for something better. We look for, for things in our lives. We look, maybe we want to accomplish some of us something and I think sometimes we're like, well, I'm not giving birth to the Messiah. Like, but shouldn't we have that same urgency that happened in that day? When she said, it's happening now, there was an urgency. And throughout time, we've heard that God's going to come back. And I think sometimes, like, the church can get this, like, fatigue of, well, I guess God's going to come back some point, but maybe not in my lifetime. And we lose the urgency like Mary had to give birth to the Messiah. We should have an urgency within us to share the gospel because there is a finite time. There is a time that Christ will return for those that are ready. And so there should be an urgency just like Mary had in that. And we've got to make room for him. And I've got to have an urgency in my life that I make room now because I don't might not have tomorrow the Bible says that I'm not promised tomorrow and so I should focus on right now is my life where it needs to be so we're going to look now at his life the love that we see throughout the life of Jesus Christ so I feel like we should use Jesus as an example to set our lives to live our lives by but Millie how many times do you fail to be like Jesus a lot yeah me too I am far from Jesus. <laughs> I make, not far from Jesus, but far from being like Jesus. <laughs> I, I make mistakes nearly every day on the regular. And you know what I do? I come to repentance. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Our objective as Christians is to pursue Christ and to live a life as Jesus did, to be Christ-like. Now, ain't no one in this room that is Christ-like. If you call yourself Christian, but let's all be honest, there was someone who fought in the car on the way here today. <laughs> there, was, there was someone who, who got angry, and they sinned. 
Like, even though the Bible says, be angry and sin not, like, you, you, you went a little too far. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yep, shh, don't tell anyone, Zach. <laughs> Look, it happens. So our objective at that point is to rectify it, to own it, to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and turn away. So I know that none of us here are Jesus, and we all struggle in this area. But that's okay. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You see, there was a promise way back in Genesis chapter 3 about Christ coming right then. And so I think it's important that we know that, Je that Jesus is the redemption plan for you and I. Nothing that I can do, but everything that he did. And throughout the Gospels, when Jesus was performing miracles, Thousands of people showed up. They were so interested in that. Why do you think the devil doesn't like you? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you think he doesn't like you? I don't like him either. I don't really care if he doesn't like me. <laughs> doesn't like families. You know what he doesn't like about the church? Is because a bunch of us are a bunch of filthy sinners. We are messed up, and he messed up, but he doesn't get redemption. We get Amen. that God would robe himself in flesh, die on a cross so that we could have new life. We have the opportunity for redemption. So why do you think he wants to destroy you, to destroy your families, to destroy the world? It's because he can't stand the fact that you get to repent of your sins. And he knows that you're messed up because he knows those weaknesses of you. He tempts you. He's the father of lies. So what do you think he's going to do? He's going to accuse you because he's the accuser of the brethren. Think about it for just a moment. He hates the fact that you get redemption, and he doesn't. So throughout the Gospels, when Jesus was performing miracles, thousands showed up, right? Like uh, the 5,000, right, that, that he feeds. They were just amazed by it. But what, as you move through time, what happens as you look at this? You get to the day of Pentecost. There's 120. At the cross, there were even fewer. Where was the 5,000 when they were saying, when, when Pilate asked, who should I give, Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. Where were the 5,000 on that day? They were so enamored with the gifts and the presence that were there. And I think sometimes we get excited about the presence that God has for us and the gifts that he has for us but we neglect to push ourselves into the very presence of God. Yeah. We, we, we completely stop the adoring him and we only sing it once a year and say, oh, come let us adore him. And I check a box on Christmas Eve or I check a box on Christmas Day. But what about Monday next week? Tuesday next week? What about the 1st of January? Are you going to come and adore him? Or are you going to be stuck and say, you know what? I'm not, I, I can't push into the presence of God. It's too hard. I'm just looking for the gifts. So many times we look for an experience and we look for something that fixes something that's temporal. I told you all last week, right, about my breaks. John here today? I thought I saw him walk in. Is John, John? Yeah, there he is. He works over there at GMC, and I finally get through in the towel last week. And I took my truck over there and was like, hey, maybe John will, you know, hook me up. He did hook me up with a new master cylinder. 
I was like, I texted him. I was like, John, from now on, in the future, when you work on my truck, you're only allowed to call me with good news. <laughs> I guess I didn't clarify that. <laughs> no, it was nothing that John did. <coughs> so that was, that was great. But here's the thing. is Sometimes, just like that, like I got to a point where I didn't know what I was doing, so I had to ask for help. You ever, like, just try, like, you just keep doing the same thing? You know how many times I bled those brakes, John? <sighs> Probably. Rochelle, how many times did I bleed those brakes? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, that was trauma. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> it's not true. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, you just, please don't. <laughs> but did we, did we fight a little bit? Yeah, we fought a little bit. Did I get upset that she wasn't pumping it right? Yeah, because the, it had nothing to do with her. It was everything to do with the problem that needed to be fixed. It was the master cylinder's fault, not my wife. I could have called you. I mean, you probably could help me replace a master cylinder. I, yeah, you know what? Everybody's like, you could call me. Well, thank you for letting me know that. I appreciate it. Other people told me that too, but I didn't because you know what? I'm one of those independent type of people. I've got to figure it out myself. Can I get an amen from all the independent people in here? Amen. Oh, there we go. My grandma better be the loudest one in here. <laughs> I never realized how much me and my grandmother were alike, but she like, oh man, she, she wants to be independent. <laughs> so do I. She tells me you should wear a jacket, and I'm like, I'm not going to wear a jacket now. She told me don't put two sticks of butter in the biscuits. Maybe I wouldn't have, but there's for sure going to be two in there now. <laughs> uh, I take her out to eat, and I'll be like, Grandma, what do you want? She's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, you want fish or chicken? She's like, how do you know? I said, because you get the same thing every time. She's like, well, maybe I don't want that today. <laughs> okay. Don't get it then. <laughs> I tempt it. I dare you. <laughs> you want a salad today, don't you? <laughs> So in the life of Jesus, we see the display of love, right? And in, in John 15, 9 through 11, it says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. If he ain't in you, your joy is not complete. I need the joy of Jesus. I need him in my life so that my joy can be complete. So the very first thing I got to do is remain in his love. So his love leads us to joy. There was joy at the birth of Jesus. Sure, after Mary got done giving birth, there was some joy. There was joy during his miracles. People were excited. There was joy at the resurrection. There was joy today because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. There can be joy. But I have to remain in his love because I want my joy to be filled with his joy. I don't want it to be just my joy. I want his joy. So without his joy, my joy is incomplete. What's incomplete joy look like? I'm sure some of us this week have experienced incomplete joy. Maybe in your bed, maybe in the car. You were just, you just didn't feel complete. 
And maybe you felt depressed. Maybe you felt down. Maybe you felt hard on yourself. But I want to tell you about that there is no greater love today. The birth, life, death, and resurrection depicts no greater love. No greater love. In, in, in John 3.16, it says, For God loved this world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because of the gift of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, you have redemption today. You have the opportunity to not walk out of here with half your joy. You can walk out with his joy and your joy. So the love is already there. Much like a mother and father who love their child before it ever takes their first breath. The love was there for you. While you were crafted in the womb, God loved you. And his love was upon you in those moments. Part of the gift of God is the life that you have because of his love. Sometimes we look at it and we can't stand our lives. I'll, maybe I won't loop you into that because maybe not all of you were like that. But sometimes I look at myself and my life, I don't feel like it's worthy of living sometimes. I sometimes look at my life and say, how could someone love me? How can God love me? I mess up and make mistakes all the time. And I beat myself up, even though love was there. And sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, God, how is this what you meant? How is this? How is this part of the gift? But your life has purpose. My life has purpose. And sometimes I got to tell myself that there is a purpose to what God is doing and allowing me to walk through. And I want you to know that even though you may be in a dark valley at times, he still loves you. He still cares about you. And it's just for a moment, it's just for a period of time. You may feel like it's been going on from generations, for years. But I want to encourage you today to let you know that there is no greater love than the love that Jesus Christ had for us. And, and in John 15, 13 through 14, it says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. We are friends of God. That means that you have a hope for eternity. The love was already there thousands of years ago. And while you may be sitting there today saying, I don't think I can make it another week. I don't think I can make it another day. I want you to know that God loves you. And if there was a gift you've got, it's the gift of Jesus Christ. It's the gift of his joy. You don't have to leave the same as you walked in. Jesus made his love for all who will come to him. Sometimes I think like we look at our lives and we're like, well, what can I give God? I don't, you know, okay, here we go. Does anyone have one of those difficult people to buy for in their family? I'm the difficult person. They, 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 I don't want anything. And when they get me something, I'm like, thanks, that's really cool. And I don't want to tell them what I really want. Because it's like, I'm not even going to buy what I really want. <laughs> so I take what they give me, and I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Like, Ashley, what is this, some of those things you gave me? You got me these gloves that had, like, lights on them. You know how nice that is when you're working on the car? <laughs> really cool. Yeah, I didn't know I needed that, but now I do. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, and sometimes I think we, we, we're like, oh, God, what can I give you? I'm just a humble mess. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm tore up from the floor up. Oh, well, I got nothing to give you, God. 
But here's the thing. The greatest gift has already been given. There's no gift that you've got to give. So think of it this way. The gift that you can give him is yourself. God, I've got nothing to give you. So I'm going to give you my tattered, torn up rags. It says in the Bible that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So God, I'm just giving you my filthy rags. That's all I've got, God. I'm a mess. God, I'm, I'm tore up. I, I, just, I just need you. And the greatest gift you can give him is that right there, yourself. It's not, it's not your money. It's not your time. It's not any, it's yourself. Because everything else follows when you give yourself and you say, God, I'm yours. In closing, our greatest gift that we have is the love of Christ. The love that formed you in the womb. The greatest gift that we have. The love that gave you life is the greatest love that we have. I'm not talking about mom and dad's love. I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking about the love of our heavenly father. The love that brought you to this point, that's the greatest love. There's no greater love. The love that has kept you through the trials and the tribulation and the struggles, there's no greater love than the love of Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're sitting here today and you're looking at your life, and you're asking the question, where is this love in my life? Maybe you've been searching for it and you feel this emptiness in your life and you're like, I just can't shake the empty feeling. You know what I believe without a doubt in my mind? It's because we need to strengthen our relationship with Jesus. We need to grow in him. In John 15 verse 17, it says, this is what I command you, love one another. Sometimes it's hard to love your family. Sometimes it's hard to love the people that, has, that God has put next to you. But it's our job. It's what we're to do. It's our command. And if I want to have his joy, I must keep his commands. So if I keep his commands and his joy is within me, it's going to help me love those who are far from Christ. You may struggle with the command, but this command is what keeps us in line with Christ and fills that joy that you need. So this Christmas, I'm asking that we display the love of Christ in our lives every day, not just today. Not, not just when you go and you gather around and you open up gifts. Not when you sit around the table and have dinner. Don't let that be the only time. Don't let this Christmas be a focus of gifts. Don't let it be a focus of the birth of Jesus. Let it be the focus of the perfect life that was given, that I can have joy. Don't let this Christmas be about the gifts, but let it be about the presence of Jesus Christ that I can enter into the holiest of holies and I can have a relationship with him. Don't focus on one small aspect of the Bible. Let Christmas be a remembrance of the sacrifice of the perfect lamb that was slain for our redemption. Next week, we're going to come together. We're going to take communion during our worship night at 6.30 p.m. So I'll make sure I clarify that. <laughs> and this week, Take time to repent. Take time to prepare your heart for that. Remember the sacrifice of the perfect lamb, but also let it be a time to remember 
that the the lamb is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Let it be a time to remind yourself that your Messiah lives and that his life and resurrection are the victory that I need to focus on rather than the failures of my life. And last, his victory is our victory. So when you have felt defeated, know that you serve a victorious God. And the things that I'm telling you, I'm telling myself. I was talking with someone a couple weeks ago, and I said, well, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 90%, I preach to myself. Because this stuff that I'm preaching to you are things that I personally deal with. The struggle of not being good enough, the struggle of feeling like a failure, the struggle of just life. And I know that I'm not the only person that walks through those things. The dark days, I'm a person who struggles. Those anxious feelings, I'm a person who struggles with it. I pick my skin sometimes because I get so nervous. Sarah, I struggle the same thing that you do sometimes. And you know what? Jade said something during testimonies, and she said, I came to, I, I, I chased after Jesus. I ran after God. There, yes, I came running to the Lord. You know what? Everybody needs to be a little bit like Jade. Come running to the Lord. That's where the joy is found. Not in trying to solve the problem yourself. You know what? I did not get any joy from working on my brakes. Bleeding them 30,000 times. I didn't get joy from that. It was kind of nice driving it out of the shop and it working, you know? There was no joy in that. And sometimes we struggle and we fight ourselves and we keep like, oh, I'm going to figure it out. And God's like, I'm right here. I just need you to turn and look at me. And we're like, no, God, I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to break. I'm going to get these breaks to work. And God's like, I'm just right here. Just call me. At the mention of his name, he's looking for you to turn to him. So if you're struggling this week, this holiday season, there's a purpose in the pain. There's a purpose in what you're going through. And I want today to be a day that we thank God for what he's done for us. I'm thankful for what he's done in my life, in this church, in your lives. I'm thankful that I have someone that I can look to in the darkest places. I can look to him. He is the light that shines brighter. So as this song plays, I'm going to invite you. If you want prayer today, if you're struggling, you can come up here to the front. I would love to pray with you. But I'm just thankful for the blood that was shed on Calvary. This song is called Thank You for the Blood. God, I thank you for meeting us here today. God, I pray that you would touch each and every one of us. God, God, I pray for every heart, every life. God, you know the struggles that are here today, God. God, and I pray that we would look to you, God, to be the author and finisher of our faith today. In Jesus' name.
Before we go today, let's close in prayer real quick. God, I thank you for each and every person that's here today, God. God, I pray that you would move in our lives, God. God, that our focus would be you this year, God. As we move into the next year, God, that we would evaluate our life, God. That we would look, God, and we would push ourselves to enter into your presence, God. That we would see you move in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in our city, God, in our places of work. God, that we would see a mighty move of your spirit, God, and that we would feel the urgency, one, to create room for you, but to see you move. God, I pray you would touch each and every one of us. Keep us, God. Let us feel your joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet someone. Tell someone.